0: Hey, everybody, this is Petey from the Spinner Rack, and we also have... Calvin Ellis, ready to rock. Now, we are here to report on the passing of Denny O'Neill, writer and editor of both Marvel and DC Comics. He's more known for being editor-writer of Batman, and we're very sad to see that he had passed.
1: Denny O'Neill, I believe for a lot of people, is a Batman guy. This is the guy who came on and did all of this stuff with Batman. But even those people, I think, are familiar with Danny Neal from his work as an editor on Batman in the nineteen nineties, which uh, so, which did a lot to push Batman to the forefront of the, it, it did a lot to push Batman to the forefront of DC Comics in uh, conjunction with the animated series, the films. But this was a guy who really did have a lot to say and a lot to do with that happening. Uh, but Denny O'Neill was also very much, I mean, he was very much, he is his fingerprint in terms of comics, both Marvel and DC is very widespread. I think if Roy, he might be, I hope I'm not going too far, but to what Roy Thomas was to Marvel, you could say that uh, Danny O'Neill was to DC in terms of the, in terms of that management that he was doing as an editor. Because it did bleed over from the Batman comics. He I mean he initially we get to see him starting off uh, revitalizing Batman, returning him to his roots, uh, going on to Green Lantern and uh, you know, just doing doing stories for comics that uh, I don't think a lot of people thought could have been done, and not only doing them, uh, but doing them in the Bronze Age style, where comic books were one and done. you know it didn't take eight or nine issues in order to get this across. You had your story and you wrapped everything up in 20, 24 pages. And these guys pulled it off. You know, he would go then on to have a short-lived, you know, a short run on Superman, but still influential nonetheless. And, you know, that's just the DC side of the stuff. You know, when you get over to Marvel, you know, equally, you know, equally very influential in terms of the writing. Uh, I think we were talking the other day, probably one of his most overlooked works in terms of both writing and, partnership with an artist is the, the Daredevil run that he had when he was working with David Mazzicelli. You want to take that? Well, um, with
0: that, with that, he was, al- he was already the editor of Daredevil. He was the one, he was the guy who actually, um, he actually put Frank Miller on, um, on Daredevil. He, you know, he, they gave Frank Miller a chance. He's a young guy who was learning his way and he, they picked him to do that. And then of course, um, at some point, Frank was like, Hey, he's itching to write it. and, and now, most of the time, there really wasn't this sort of fight between uh, giving the title, and this is the first time there someone really had to deal with someone saying the writer wanting to stay on it and the artist wanting to write it, and Demi said he had to make the decision who was the who was the popular part of it since Dear Double was one way before that. And then, then Miller gets on there, it gets kind of big, he's really realizing he doesn't want to lose Frank, so he gives him that shot. And then we get the Dear Double Run. But then of course has, you know, double Run it winds down when he leaves, Danny O'Neill takes the book out. And, you know, there's some I mean, there's some highlights of some hot issues obviously when Wolverine comes in. I'm not sure if Danny was writing at that point, but he takes over the title. You could slowly see he's getting his rhythm with Dave Mazzucelli, who's also the new guy that's coming in. He's slowly gaining his ground. Dave Mazzucelli is like, oh, okay, it's it's a gritty sort of thing, but he's got some some of his own dynamics. So, like, people are finding that book again. But at the same time, (laughs) you know, um, Miller comes back. And he takes the book back from, he has his title, and he takes his book back from Denny O'Neill. But Danny also had a long run on um, Iron Man also. He took over Iron Man, had, well, Tony Stark, you know, becoming an alcoholic, is a subplot of the story. Most of the time people look at the story and say, oh, this is a great run, uh, Tony, Tony Stark's alcoholism. But the, the story was, the alcoholism is the point that starts the story. Rhodey takes over the armor and becomes the hero of the book, and Tony the subplot. And then slowly that leads into um, Tony coming back, which is a book that I, I really enjoyed of Tony Stark picking up the old armor. Because I was like, this is cool. I want, because sometimes people go retro, obviously Burn is going retro and in, in different stuff and added going back to the old X-Men outfits, and uh, the New Mutants had the old X-Men outfits a little bit modified, but then having the old Iron Man armor, I was like, yes, and then they put him into the scholar centurion arm. I was like, uh, no, but <laughs> you know that that um, dealing having more than just one issue, which the demon in the bottle is a very good issue, and and then he kind of deal dealt with alcoholism in in the as a subplot, which is a a strong you know it was a strong subplot in the story, and um, you know dealing with such a long time, and you can see he you know even what you said with his um, Superman run the whole Sandman thing sort of plays out over a number of issues. Even though it has the beginning, middle, of end, that sort of thread going through a Superman losing his powers and the Sandman being his character trying to figure his way through the story. Is he a villain? What is he? Who knows what he was? But, you know, that, that's sort of a testament of a... I would also like to state, since he started at Marvel and his scripting style was similar to Stan Lee, when you see the Batman issues, it's almost like he shed all of the Stan Lee sort of dialogue and didn't follow the trend, because I think that's what kind of was killing people trying to compete with um, Stan Lee, trying to do Stan Lee and him doing the Batman stuff and the Superman stuff. It wouldn't be any wise cracks in the Batman story. It would be a very serious tone. It was interesting to see a guy who started out one way having to do a style like Stan going to um batman and doing a style that was totally unlike Stan. so you know a very, very talented um writer you know and as, as far as the talent you know some things that didn't it didn't always work But there's always an attempt to find something different obviously in this attempt to do wonder woman or superman and this that sort of thing and being that mainstay at dc for so long even i think it was a captain marvel in the shazam book but um, but then going back to Mar going back to Marvel being that editor of of uh, you know, a long line of books, editor of Alpha Flight, the Hulk for a short period, which ultimately I think Howard Mackey said online yesterday. I read, you know, for wrong for not the best reasons. He didn't say exactly what it was, but saying that Danny was fired, he was able to pick up the Batman becoming the editor. Now Dick Giordano already had some plans with um. With Frank Miller, he'd already had Batman, um, Frank Miller doing Batman, but Danny O'Neill would be the one to take over the book. And it was was a rough start, even though he had Miller start with the first four issues of um, The Dark Knight. And you could hear there was some struggles on the other time of Detective, where um, I think Alan Davis was struggling to get in contact with people. But some point after that, they started to figure things out. They had the Death of the Family with Jim Starlin. Jim Starlin had a decent run on the title before that Then this big event. And then next thing you know, you had the Superman titles kind of rolling and then he kind of looks over and sees, oh, they're doing kind of like weekly stories. I can sort of do that. And they, the Superman had a big event, so they did Nightfall. And that's when the, the Batman titles are really rolling. And you can see that, like, really ushering the success of taking the Batmania from the Batman movie because everyone is just clamoring for a lot of Batman stuff. And you have the cult. There's a bunch of things. The, people finally remember the, what was it, the, even the, the adaptation. I think he wrote that, but that's under his umbrella of having keeping the, the Batman mania going on his titles into big success. So I'm, you know, saddened to hear it. But you see, it was I think it's till two thousand that he did the Batman titles, yeah. And they had event after event, but Batman was had solidified itself as um, a very popular character. It's, um, you know, it's, the, the DC titles, as I think Shooter was saying that they sold considerably less than the Marvel ones, which is sad to hear. But um, I think that's also surviving through. Those, even though they, I think early on in the 60s, they sold pretty well. But somehow there's this huge drop and the pr- print runs are really low, which really surprised me when I was looking at that. But, you know, to get Batman really, you know, he was close to cancellation. Not as much Superman at that point. We never heard that he was, Superman was gonna be canceled, but Batman was very close to being canceled and him being partied to keep it going. And then finally getting Batman to the success we always think he had, so. Success in comics, I mean, because obviously TV movie he's huge, but you know just all around talent. There's other things that I guess we should bring up as far as his um his um catalog, which is um his his um his credits, which would be obviously Greenland and Green Arrow, the relevant stories, which we've talked about recently. What else? What else? Obviously the question, which people like, or Asriel, which was the shoot off of that. Yeah, what a up? lot of people
1: liked Azrael much more than I. <laughs> I, no, I, I didn't. I never understood that. You know, like I remember reading when he came on. I guess how he was used in the uh, the Batman stories, I suppose. But uh, you know, I read that Originals uh, sort of vengeance, and I was like, okay. And I just, you know, guys really liked it a lot more than I understood at the end of the day. But hey, you know, people like what you know, people like what they like. But yeah, still, you know, much, still credit to Denny O'Neill for understanding that. Hey, this was a character that could be viably used. I would. I would also. Add, oh, sorry. Are you gonna. Are you gonna go or no? No, you can go.
0: I would also add that there's a period in the 70s where I think um, Jerry Conway and Marv Wolfman they kind of when they were doing Spider-Man they did a very they brought him back to being a ground level character. So they would deal have he would have fights with the normal people, but some of the new villains like the Tarantula. And those guys, Spider-Man would have a tough time with these characters. And for me, that was a period we could see the power level. All right, Spider-Man's tough, but then he could get beat up, he could get hit, and this, that, and the other. And I only bring this up to say is that um, Danny O'Neill took over Spider-Man after Marv Wolfman. And there's a a definite shift in how he was playing Spider-Man. And that shift... Would be the Spider-Man that most people know and love now, which is a character that utilizes his um, spider sense almost to like a like a martial artist degree t- type of angle with it, and he's almost like the strength level is through the roof. He's battling characters like the the Super Apes. He fight he fights down the Dinamil's byline. He he gets into a tussle where. Like the Submariner is is weakened, and Spider-Man gets to get some good shots in. So it's a clear point where they what's the name? Denny started to utilize the Marvel Universe, having Spider-Man fight all these other guys. Because sometimes he'd run into people like the Super Scroll, but he would be totally outclassed. There was nothing he could do, and he'd fight people like like the like Iron Fist villain, like Steel Serpent, and get his, his hat handed to him. But then when you get to Denny O'Neill stage. He kind of gets that toughness that people sort of saying, "Oh, he's holding back." Because look at him here. Look at how powerful he is. So I'd like to just bring that up that he had a little run that no one really remembers, which leads into Roger Stern's run, which Roger Stern almost takes that same baton and goes even further, and you can see Tom DeFalco go one step further. And but yeah, like, further then, or
1: you could say further,
0: or you could say too far. <laughs> <laughs> but did that sort of start, which no one really sort of brings up, because I would remember be buying a couple of them, and it was like, I'm, I, got, I might need to put this down, because Spider-Man's a little too tough for me. But then when you go see it, it's like, oh, this is similar to what people like. So if you're a Spider-Man fan and a Denny O'Neill fan, I think you might go out and um, check out that run, because it's, uh, you know, it's sort of like what people like now, that sort of thing.
1: But- I was a big reader of Daredevil, so I remember his Daredevil run, and like it was about three or four issues before Miller got on, where the stories really picked up, mm-hmm. and uh, you know just doing a really good job between the story and the art with uh, Magis- with Mazzicelli on the on the book. So I was, you know, always like, well, Frank Miller looked and said, "Oh wow, look, Daredevil looks like he's heating up. I'll take it now. <laughs> <You> can, <laughs> I'll take it now. You can go back to DC." But then going back to DC. And working with Batman and to see the stuff that they, I mean, for, I thought for a very good portion, Batman was, I don't want to say groundless, but Batman was, I thought a lot of the stuff that Batman was doing after a Crisis, they were pretty much just phoning it in. There wasn't a real direction for him. He was doing Batman stuff, but there was no larger overall per- arcing thrust behind it. And then you see them, okay, once, like you said, once you got Nightfall, they seem to have this larger story where you were gonna have him, you know, Batman incapacitated, uh, Azrael take over, Batman come back, uh, Dick Grayson become Batman, and then all the stuff that was gonna affect Gotham City in terms of contagion, and then cataclysm, then no, uh, no man's land, and uh, pushing Batman as this, uh, pushing Batman as this urban legend. And just really, I mean, just a large overarching plan which the only other place I saw them doing that type of stuff was in the Superman books. Uh, the one thing that the Batman books had over the Superman books was that the Superman guys started to run out of steam. Those guys were just, you could see by the time they shifted and uh, they brought some new guys over that, you know, they had, they had really just, uh, I don't want to say run out of gas because it sounds like I'm being backhanded, but I think they had done everything they could do at that time and it was time to bring some new people on. Or if you look at the Batman books, I, I, those guys look like they could still be writing those books now. And the only reason why they're off is because it was just time. To look, we got to transition some new people in along those lines. But yeah, really good in terms of picking the uh, the guys, the talent, uh, making certain that that direction stayed cohesive. Uh, the stuff that he did on Superman, those short—I mean, what he did on Superman was what they would effectively do in 1986, once yeah. uh, John Byrne comes over, where they wanted to scale back Superman's powers, really, you know, make him more grounded, keep him on Earth as much as as, as much as they possibly could. And you know he was trying to do that, and well, he did it in uh, the Sandman saga, which is uh, which were the issues that he wrote. Very, uh, very strong, com- very strong contributions to Marvel and DC. Even though more well known for the DC stuff, and uh, probably one of the, definitely, without a doubt, one of the more storied careers in comics. I don't know if we'll get to see people like that in the future who come in. It, it almost seems literally off the street. They start writing, they get you know taken in, you know by by readers, and go on to have a very long and storied career. You know, still writing, editing, success as a writer, success as an editor, and you know, without a doubt, you know, stands the test of time and will stand the test of time as long as people read comic books and want to have good stories.
0: That would almost be the the best way to end it. I would only have to add that um, I would say. He also changed the approach of Batman because before this is something which I miss of Batman being a great escape artist. The idea of them taking away the them trying to kill Batman by putting him in a trap, and he kind of xed that out completely. So basically, he had a situation where the the villains would either kill his partner in killing that sort of thing, but it moved away from him being in the, this great escape artist, and getting to the, I'll just say ninja. They have a term that the people use for it. But it's, it's ninja. Kind of, they, well, they they call, they go to the psycho ninja. <laughs> but um, that, the, that change, and then also the change of kind of removing the idea of Joe Chill, which is something I like, because it was a story in the, the, I think it's the golden age where the Batman, is a cold case that he finds, which has Joel chill, and then Batman they turn into someone that Batman never caught. So
1: they were like, I never, I never agreed with that. Yeah. I just, I never agree with that because it, it countermanded all these stories that had come before, which were great yes. in terms of, uh, I mean, you go back to that Silver Age, said, no, it's a Golden Age story. You go back to that Golden Age story. Where he, you know, he finds Joe Chill and he unmasks. Yeah. And, like, you know, and then, of course, know. They, do, and then they do the stuff later on. And then it was like, well, the, and the reason why they, I understand why they did it. They wanted to have a reason for Batman to be as obsessive as he was. And the fact that he never found his parents, the never that he never found his parents killer would definitely, you know, speak to him being obsessive and having the personality they wanted. So, but I just never agree with it because at some point, well, it was one of i mean i was still a batman reader not as heavy as when i first started but i would still you know come in and uh, i was still abreast of like a lot of the stories but one of the things that turned me off to it was that batman just seemed to never get past this thing and i was like this is a grown man at some point you've got to be able to get past it especially if you're batman but oh you know you know him being a bit more of a git you know being a jerk towards people they embraced a lot of that but that came a lot a lot of that came out of the dark knight returns but uh you know, that was part of it with zero hour, you know, he never found Joe Chill, which was would, uh they would actually take that slap that on Superman with the uh, New Fifty Two reboot where his parents were dead again. And <laughs> you know, they you know, they you know, they tried to, you know, they, they they said, Look, he never had his parents, so because he never had his parents or his parents died at a young age, now he's going around and what did they do? They made him a jerk too. And nobody liked <laughs> nobody liked it. Well, we gotta get these parents back in here. These people need some grounding. And they brought the same thing back for uh, we brought the same thing back for back Batman, uh, but regardless of my life of it or not, you know, it was still something that was to uh, the you know the Batman story for a good amount of time, and you know, looking at the you know, looking at the overall you know results and the reaction, it was something it was something that worked. I guess I was the only one who really liked that Silver Age st- that uh that story where he, he finds the killer. I was the only one who really really liked it. But
0: that's the thing I mean, I think it's more of approach because I think they had there was a reprint of Batman stories because at, at the same time in the eighties when things are kind of running, they read, they put out Action Comics number 1. They did a, with, not really a facsimile, but a copy, of, a reprint of it that was on regular comic paper. And at the same time, they did this book of Batman that had, I guess it was around the time of the movie, but they had like key issues. And one of the key issues, I think they had, obviously, Batman 404 and something else. But the first, one of the first stories was that Silver Age story. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. I like this story. Like this one was a really good one. And then it's like, oh look, the so-called deputy deputy cop Batman is haunting Joe Chill. Like he's yes. <laughs> he's not playing around. He's upset. <laughs> so you know, um but uh, you know, that not this is not the you know, I, I this, this obviously there's definite missteps in his career. And I think obviously early on trying to figure out who's gonna take over batman you see it took him a while to sort of figure that out but obviously i, I didn't state he haven't having him having alan grant and um and that classic team that was on detective for a long time post um, mike w Barr. so it's like he had some things in place the batman movie he had some things around that going but then you see really as you just said you said earlier so it was his his um I mean, obviously not perfect and stuff like, as far as Batman, I kind of stayed away from some stuff, but I did come back from different periods. I came back for um, when, um, was it, um, Doug Minch and um, Kelly Jones was doing their run on Batman and then I'd get to see some of the other stuff, but I, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a big, there's it's a lot of titles to buy at once. I mean, obviously, you know, buying Superman titles, so it was like, let me just buy one I can just buy. So, I, uh, the, but the, the weekly format is just tough for me because it's just like I usually pick, I'll have two of them or buy two X books, but I can't buy four X books. Or at some point, I think I was when I say, all right, I'm weeding these down. So, but that aspect is testament to him really figuring out and um, some of the success of his Batman titles up to 2000, and then Batman going to the new 52. It's like, oh, wow, this is just going to be a success regardless.
1: Like, <laughs> this is going to be the number one book now. This is crazy. So. Yeah, I never thought of him so much as a misstep. I just thought he was a, I thought Denny O'Neill was at his strongest when he was writing the character from their foundation. Hmm. And one of the things I noted that, I mean, his the most successful books were Batman, but he always seemed to write Batman from his foundation. With Green Arrow and Green Lantern, it was, okay, we're going to do something different. Uh, Green Arrow, you don't have your money anymore. And Green Lantern, you're going to be on Earth, you know, traveling in a pickup truck. And, you know, so as much as it was cutting edge, you can see why it didn't go, maybe it didn't go as long as it did. Because after a while, like, people like, what's going on? And that would have been something. With Wonder Woman, I thought that was the most dramatic of, you know, all of the stories that he did, all of the... uh, You know, let's try something different—the new look Wonder Woman. Because I mean, her her storyline was totally decimated. She was she went from being uh, the princess of Paradise Island to you know running a uh, thrift shop, doing gung you know doing gung fu with no powers. And it took the women's it took the women's movie to say hell no, (laughs) you know this is not working. And he's like, what do you mean? I got her over here. She's got an outfit. She's fully clothed. They were like, no, put her back in the bikini. Put it back in there with the powers. That's Wonder Woman. You don't, we don't dig this stuff right over here. And then with Superman, well, and he was on record. Superman for him was a heavy lift. He said, how can you write a story about a guy who can destroy universes by listening? And he was like, well, you're, you're less the powers. That's how you do the whole thing. But Superman, was really hard with Superman. Those powers come back because he's Superman. You know, everybody wants to write this story where he does something magnificent in terms of power and then in terms of character. And it's really hard to do that when you have Superman and he needs to breathe in space. And you're like, well, do I got to worry about that? You don't want to worry about that. You just want to write something where he punches his way to the future. Or, you know, he flies so fast, he bursts the bonds of infinity. You know, you want to do cool stuff like that in the conjunction uh, with telling these stories, you know, these more high-level stories of morality. So I always found he was at his strongest when he was writing the characters from the Foundation. With Batman, he, he, without a doubt, it's like uh, him, Bruce Timm, there's some of these guys with Batman, they get it. They understand what that foundation is. They don't necessarily apply it to other characters, but you definitely get it when it comes to, uh, you know, the particular character they do. And in that case, it was Batman. So I mean, you look now; everything goes back to, he looked at stories, and they're like, "Oh yeah, he was doing something different. At least He was trying something different right over here. You know, look at the stuff over here. Yeah. The, you know, may not necessarily be my cup of tea, but at the very least, you know, he was going forward. He was trying this. Now that's now. <laughs> In the midst of it, people always come, What the hell? What's this? You know, why is Green Arrow broke? Get him his money back. And you know, but then to look at the same thing, but we would see this later on with other characters who, you know, wealthy characters losing all of their money, with the exception of Batman, of course. you know, but would see characters like you know, Tony Stark, you know, becoming broke and again, once again, uh succumbing to alcoholism. you, you would see this with other characters where, you know, The wealth was, you know, the wealth made things. The wealth was partially a superpower, and taking it away was, you know, in in some form depowering them. You can definitely trace them back to uh, what went on with Green Arrow. I think the biggest thing that happened, though, was that Green Arrow seemed to be just fine without the money. You know, you would, you you know, if you were, you know, if you're Oliver Queen and you had all of this money, and then you lose all of it, you're like, well, well, damn. You know, I'm probably getting ready to go to the top of a a building and jump off. And he just got himself an apartment, and he was okay. So. Well, it, it seem more cosmetic than anything else. It's funny when think, um, I think, because um, I think,
0: I think they, I think Neil Adams and um, Daniel Neil realized they had they were very politically they differed on a lot, but they when they when they came together, obviously they, what's they they made the magic was there. But one of the things that he said about um, Green Arrow, he said besides the look, the change of look, he really wanted to give. Neil Adams really wanted to give um, Green Arrow the super arrows like Kirby was doing. He was like, I really want him to have some cool arrows. And I think we got the right look, but then we can add some, some cool arrows with it. And then working with Denny, it was like, you know, going back to like not going too crazy with the arrows. We have very down to earth So the arrows. So it's been maybe that extra step of adding the real... Like um like crazy arrows would have been fun, but um it's in, but the, the run itself is still outside of when they reprint it, they they didn't reprint the harpies, which of course is another another um issue that that um Danny O'Neill kind of like puts his head under a pillow and say let's not look at that story. <laughs> it's just kind of a um, struggling with the women's movement. So. Um, you know, it's it, some of the things, just, just in the sense of comic books. But it, I mean, going back, I guess last thing Sid mentioned, him having a long run on the, not really that long run, I guess it's three years on the, the question. And um, him doing the question and kind of reformatting, carrying on, that's a, that's a tough one for me, because I like the, the, the Ditko version, even though he scripted it, but he had some strong objections to it, even though he understood the shadow, which a character that he liked and he drew that the character the shadow is a vigilante and handles things with, with two shotguns, two two handguns. So it's like the question doesn't use handguns, but he'll let he'll let someone go down the river if they're <laughs> But Daniel they'll kinda of changed that and, and zend him out and you know, he's got a cool sort of jacket and there. definitely a book to look at because it has some decent art by Dennis Cowan and um, you know. It's it's definitely something. like okay. it's a and a a run from him, like a direct from issue one to to um, thirty six, and then it's some quarterly issues. So.
1: I'll end with uh, my as much as I enjoyed his Batman run, I thought his greatest contribu Well, I thought his best writing, foundationally, was on Rachel Gould, when mm. the uh, the Demon series, as I like to call it, with Son of the Demon, Birth of the Demon, those books right there. It was and these weren't mainstream comics I would like to say because these were like magazine sized yeah. graphic novels if you will but the storytelling the art and then that origin of racial ghoul this is his creation and nobody mm-hmm. no one has rendered racial ghoul with the effect that, Daniel, uh, that Danny the denny o'neil did it was i think denny o'neil understood that batman's real enemy is not the joker this guy, he should be able to lock up anytime he wants to, but it would have to be someone like Raish, who you know has this international ability to do whatever he wants, and that's a that is the most potent threat that you could have for a character like Batman. When he shows up, he shows up in the you know the cave, and he's abducted Robin, which also is one of my favorite stories because you get this great uh, Batman and Robin sequence where you see how well they work together as a partnership, and yes. and, and, yeah. and how it's detailed. But those stories right over there, and a lot of I, I, I would hate to say that they're overlooked. But that whole birth of uh, the, the birth of the uh, Son of the Demon, birth of the Demon. Those uh, it was a trilogy, I believe. I, I always forget the one in the in the middle. Uh, what is it, Son of the Demon? I can't remember the. I can't remember it, unfortunately. The books uh, I recommend for anybody uh, to go back and have uh, to have a read. was just really. Yeah, that was
0: a definite. I would only, I would only add that's one of the things that, um, which is when you're in total power. <laughs> he did. I guess he didn't always exert that power, but he did do a lot of the key issues, which would be, you know, some money issues like the, the Legend of the Dark Knight series. He did the first run of those one with all the special covers, so they're definitely going to be big sellers. And he did the those graphic novels of, of um, Son of the Demon. And, um, so it's, uh, it's int- it was interesting, but that's the same, I mean, in the same instance, that's similarly like uh, Jim Shooter would take his hand and like, I'm, I'll do the big crossovers. Cause I know everything That uh, I don't think Denny took it like that, but at the same time, you'd be like, Hey, there's something coming up. I need somebody, me, <laughs> I can do it. And they, they would also work out to be decent stories. you know, doing, uh, the adaptations of that um, writing those things, so it's not like we got a bad guy. So it's a it's a good guy in place to cover it because it would be in character and it wouldn't be like a jump. So.
1: Yeah. What was that? I said I'm actually looking on my bookcase right now, and I was like, "Yeah." And they said, "There it goes Son of the Demon." I don't have the other. I know I have the. I know I have the first one. The other two. You usually come in and out of my collection, but I have that original hardcover Son of the Demon.
0: Okay, so we're sad to see that he has passed and there's definitely his uh, his legend because his stuff has come his stuff has made it to movies for both Marvel and DC. Because there's definitely some of his Iron Man stuff obviously then uh Abadiah, Stain and um, you know, and obviously Ray Jagul. Rajah Ghul is in the Batman stuff, so his stuff has made it to, you know, either animated, indoor or to the actual movie theater. So, R.I.P. Danny O'Neill.
1: Yes, rest in peace, Danny O'Neill. Without a doubt. All
0: right, spinnerack
1: out. Yeah.